Volume three, chapter eight of the old manor house. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Old Manor House by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume three, chapter eight. Three days, three happy days to Orlando now passed rapidly away divided between his father's house and the hall and preparing to constitute the comfort of both he was himself gay and cheerful in the certainty that at night he should see monimia the charms of the season the beauty of the country to which he was attached as well from taste as habit the tender affection of monimia which though more guarded was more lively than on their early acquaintance the delight of knowing that his father's sorrows were soothed and suspended by his presence and that his mother looked upon his attention to her as overpaying her for every other anxiety all conspired to give value to his existence and to blunt the asperity of those reflections in regard to his brother which now and then would interpose and give him momentary disquiet he was not quite content by isabella who though the air of gaiety she assumed did not seem to be really so well pleased as she affected to appear the fulsome fondness of her ancient military lover sometimes raised her ridicule but oftener disgust which orlando saw with concern but on these occasions he reflected that nothing in this world is without its alloy and that so many advantages would occur to his family by the marrying of isabella that as she did not seem herself adverse to it it was folly in him to think of it with concern on the morning of the fourth day after his arrival he had just walked over from the hall where mrs rayland had detained him to breakfast and was engaged in conversation in the parlour with his father and the general when a dark-coloured chariot drawn by four sleek docked-tailed horses that might have matched the set at rayland hall was seen to approach the house followed by three servants in purple liveries mr somerive expressed some surprise at this as he had not the least recollection of the equipage the inquiry however who it could be was immediately answered by the appearance of dr hollybourne who waddling out inquired for mr somerive and was shown into the room where he was sitting mr somerive was so little accustomed to receive visits of civility from dr hollybourne or indeed any visits at all that he was much surprised at this as he could be at matter of so little consequence the very great condensation of the good doctor who bowed as low as his prominent stomach would let him and whose speeches were interlaid by all kinds of flattery mr somerive accounted for by recollecting that the doctor was extremely fond of the company of persons of title and never so happy as when he could introduce some antidote which related to his brother the bishop or to some right honourable or right reverend friend he had on the occasion of their meeting at rayland hall the preceding november 
paid his court most assiduously to the general, and enlarged upon the beauty of his brother the Lord Barhaven's seats, all of which he said he had visited. Somerive now therefore concluded that it was to the report of his honourable guest, and of his intended alliance with the family, that he owed this very obliging visit, which, however, he began to think very tedious, and dreaded its lasting till the evening, when at length the good doctor, after a pompous preface, said that he had an affair of some consequence to communicate to Mr. Somerive, on whose time he begged to trespass alone for ten minutes. Somerive, who could not imagine what a man with whom he had so slight an acquaintance would have to say to him, immediately applied this unexpected circumstance to the idea always present to his mind. He fancied some ill had befallen his eldest son, and that one of his friends had commissioned this man of the church to break to him the horrid tidings, and then to pour into his wounded mind the consolation his profession enabled him to bestow. In an agony not to be described, therefore, Somerive led the way into his study, where the doctor, after another flourishing preface, which Somerive, in the confusion of his mind, took for a preparatory discourse, offered to him for Orlando his daughter, the fair and accomplished heiress, to whom he declared he would give twenty thousand pounds down, with an engagement that at his death that sum should be trebled. Though the proposal gave no great pleasure to Somerive, because he disliked Dr. Hollybourne, and was almost sure Orlando disliked his daughter, yet the conversation, so different from what he expected to hear, gave, while it relieved him from the most dreadful apprehensions, the appearance of joy to his countenance. He thanked the consequential doctor for the honour he did his family, promised to communicate to Orlando the purpose of their conference, and to wait upon him with an answer or send Orlando on the following day. They then returned to the general and Orlando. The conversation turned on common topics, and the doctor, though asked to stay to dinner, withdrew his usual dignity. The general was now considered as part of the family, and before him some arrived, who had hardly yet recovered from his surprise, related to Orlando as soon as he was gone, the purpose of his visit. Mr. Somerive seemed at first but little disposed to listen to proposals of such a nature from a man whom he had always rather disliked, and who now seemed to have made them only because it was generally understood that Orlando was acknowledged as the intended heir to the great estates of the Rayland family. Orlando, very plainly, declared his disinclination to hear of them, while the general, by no means accustomed to consider precarious advantages as matters to be slightly thought of, or hastily rejected, asked such questions as led Somerive to explain the particulars of Miss Hollybourne's fortune and expectations, after which he contrived to turn the conversation to indifferent matters for a few moments, and then walked away with Somerive, whom he very seriously advised to reconsider the matter before he suffered Orlando to throw from him this opportunity of becoming a man of fortune and independence.
the doctor's proposal however flattering it would have been to many young men even though they declined accepting it gave to orlando no other pleasure than what for a moment arose in reflecting that in thus refusing an affluent fortune he gave to monimia an additional proof of his affection his father however after his late conversation with the general and some reflection alone began to see this offer in a more favourable light than it had as first appeared to him and notwithstanding the little inclination he felt for the family of hollybourne he was now of an age and under circumstances which gave to such a fortune as orlando was now offered its full value in his opinion his mind already accustomed to contemplate the marriage of general tracy with isabella as a desirable event more easily accommodated itself to think with approbation of another match equally dazzling when opposed to the present uncertain situation of orlando after taking therefore some turns in his study alone he sent for his son and entreated of him to forbear giving the doctor an answer at least for two or three days orlando who had never hesitated himself what answer to give imagined it impossible to give it too soon surely sir he said as i cannot accept this good doctor's very obliging proposals it would be useless and uncivil to delay a moment saying so which i will say in a letter in the least displeasing manner i can but with however i must beg leave to do this evening i beg then that you will not said somerive in a more peremptory tone than he was accustomed to use in such an affair i will not act without consulting mrs rayland mrs rayland sir answered orlando will i am very sure either not interfere for if she does it will not be to recommend miss hollybourne we will inquire that replied his father coldly in the meantime you have my directions not to write to dr hollybourne till when sir at least not till after i know mrs rayland's opinion all the opinions upon earth sir cried orlando will not make me change my resolutions i thank you however orlando said somerive for avowing how little difference you pay to mine dear sir it was only half an hour since you seemed as little disposed to listen to this unexpected overture as i am i had not then thought of it properly you are young and rash enough to determine on the most important matters in ten minutes i am not and therefore i again desire you will not write to dr hollybourne this afternoon orlando a good deal hurt at this change in his father's sentiments and dreading importunity on an affair of such a nature then inquired if he might himself wait upon mrs rayland somerive answered you may if you will at the same time deliver a letter from me in explanation and say nothing yourself till that letter shall be read this orlando promised being pretty certain that mrs rayland would be much less anxious for this connection than mr somerive supposed who now desired him to send his mother into the study he obeyed and left them to consult together on this unexpected offer 
and write to Mrs. Rayland, with whom he proposed dining, and had engaged to return to his father with her answer early in the evening. Orlando now saw only persecution and trouble preparing for him at home during his short stay, for the tears and tenderness of his mother were infinitely more formidable to him than any other mode of interference. To Selina, whom he called out to walk with him in the shrubbery, while this conference was holding, and this letter writing, he communicated all he felt. She had only tears to give him, for to resist her father's commands, or even his wishes, seemed to her impossible. She trembled at the idea of Orlando's withstanding those wishes, yet knew enough of his invincible attachment to Monimia to be assured that he could never yield to them. A servant at length brought to Orlando the letter to Mrs. Rayland for which he had waited, and he took his way to the hall. As he had promised his father not to speak upon it before Mrs. Rayland had read the contents, he sent it up by one of the footmen, with a message importing that he waited her commands. In this uneasy interval he dared not go in search of Monomia, nor could he detach his thoughts a moment from the subject of a proposal which threatened to empoison the few days of delight which he had promised himself. Restless and anxious, he walked backwards and forwards in the study with uncertain steps, now listening to every noise in hopes of receiving a summons to attend Mrs. Rayland, and now believing, from the delay, that she saw the proposal of Dr. Hollybourne in a favourable light, and was writing to his father to enforce his acceptance. At length he was desired to walk upstairs, and with a fluctuating heart he entered the apartment of Mrs. Rayland, who began by saying, "'You know, I suppose, the contents of the letter my kinsman, Mr. Somerive, has taken the trouble to send me.' Orlando answered that he certainly did. "'And pray, sir, have you any wish to accept this offer?' "'An offer, the world, methinks, is strangely changed, for a man to offer his daughter is such an indecorum in my time such a proceeding was unheard of but however we live and learn i have heard that the way of these days is to send young women to market like cattle but there is something perfectly shocking in it to me however i suppose to people of the world it is nothing new or extraordinary pray sir what are your intentions orlando immediately saw and saw with inexpressible pleasure that Mrs. Rayland was adverse to the alliance with Dr. Hollybourne. He answered, therefore, My intentions, madam, are to decline an offer which certainly lays me under great obligation to Dr. Hollybourne, but which the profession I have chosen, and my inability to offer Miss Hollybourne and heart such as her fortune and merit give her a right to expect, render it impossible for me to accept. Mrs. Rayland, pleased to see that Orlando had no desire to become independent of her, or to force her to a positive declaration of her future intentions in regard to him, which she fancied his father wished to do by engaging her to give her sentiments on this proposal, now smiled very graciously upon him, and said, "'I think you are right, cousin Orlando. 
Dr. Hollybourne is to be sure a very worthy man. His daughter, they say, is a young person well brought up, and the fortune is very large, which first and last he can give her. Besides what he is always telling me, he is to expect from his brother the bishop. But you are yet a very young man, cousin, and in truth it seems to me to be time enough to think of marrying. The fortune of this young woman is certainly very considerable, but perhaps not greater than at some time or other. She hesitated as if afraid of saying too much. I say, by the time your settling in life is advisable, perhaps you may not have occasion to make fortune an object in marrying, so much as a good family. Dr. Hollybourne talks of his indeed, which is not well judged, for there are people who recollect both the doctor and his brother, the bishop, in very humble stations compared to what they are now. God forbid, though, that I should despise them therefore. Not at all, that is not my meaning, and to be sure your family, my cousin, has not of itself much pretensions to match with ancient blood and again she hesitated as fearing to betray her intentions too far i say if ever you are in situation to marry i would advise that you think of a woman of a good family at least orlando waited with impatience for the conclusion of this speech and then faltering and eagerly asked of mrs rayland if she would have the goodness to put into writing her opinion on this subject this however she refused as she said she would not appear to interfere in it upon any count will you then madam take the trouble to see my father will you allow him to wait upon you for he is so anxious for me and i believe thinks this affair likely to be so agreeable to you that he will be hardly easy unless he hears your sentiments mrs rayland drawing herself up as was her way said I should be glad to see Mr. Somerive on any matter that relates to you, cousin, though on this occasion I own it seems very needless. However, you have my leave to say that I shall be ready to talk over this business with my kinsman, provided, as I said before, I am not supposed by Dr. Hollybourne or his family to interfere. Orlando, impatient to have this affair concluded at once and for ever, now asked if his father might wait upon her that afternoon when he pleased was the answer and orlando fearing that if she was left long enough to consider of it she might change her mind as his father had done before now ran to west wolverton with the utmost speed quite forgetting that he was to have dined with mrs rayland or that dining at all was necessary when he arrived there he hastened to relate to his father and his mother whom he found together the purpose of his conference with mrs rayland to whom mr somerive agreed to go immediately after dinner though he seemed busily disappointed while mrs somerive who had for a moment indulged herself with the hopes that her orlando instead of continuing independence on the caprice of mrs rayland and of being separated from her by an hazarded profession might be placed at once in great affluence and in the immediate neighbourhood relinquished those hopes with a deep sigh but said nothing to her son on a point where it would now be useless 
Mr. Somerive, finding the general was gone on a visit to Stockton's, from whence it was probable he would not return till half an hour after four, determined to hasten to Mrs. Rayland before dinner. He got on horseback, therefore, and, tended by Orlando, on their arrival at the hall, he expressed to his son some apprehensions that the lady of the house might be at dinner, but Orlando, whose impatience could brook no delay, declared without a very strict inquiry into the hour that it was not yet time, and that he was sure they might go to the parlour where she usually sat, as she had so positively said they might come at any time. Some arrived almost as anxious for the conference as his son, though from very different motives, agreed then to proceed. Orlando would have sent up a servant, had he met one, but none happened to appear, and he walked before his father up the stairs, and opening the door of Mrs. Rayland's sitting-room, he saw her at the table, with Mrs. Leonard on one side of it, and Monomia on the other. He would have retreated, but it was too late. He was already in the room, his father already at the table, apologising to Mrs. Rayland for his unreasonable intrusion. She received him with civility, but without any degrees of kindness or warmth desired he would take a chair and sit down, and then said to Monomia, who stood blushing and trembling, and not daring to look up, Mary, will you withdraw? I have business with my kinsman. I beg I may not disturb anybody, cried Mr. Somerive, turning his eyes towards Monomia, and immediately comprehending who she was. I beg I may be allowed to retire till dinner is over. No, sir, answered Mrs. Rayland. I shall be glad to hear your business now, and I will dismiss my people. Mr. Somerive again looked at Monomia as she left the room, and he saw that Orlando was lost, if his being so depended upon his attachment for the extreme beauty, sweetness, and grace of Monomia, so unlike the cherry-cheeked coarse rustic which his fancy had represented her, amazed and grieved him. He felt at once that a young man whose heart was devoted to her could never think of Miss Hollybourne, and that he himself could not blame an attachment to an object so lovely, however imprudent, or however ruinous. Mrs. Leonard now offered to withdraw, but her lady bade her finish her dinner, while poor Orlando cast a melancholy look at Monomia, and then on the seat she had left which Mrs. Rayland desired him to take. The dinner was soon removed, and then Mr. Somerive, in a few words, repeated the purpose of his letter. Mrs. Rayland, even more strongly than she had done to Orlando, expressed her wish that the offer of Dr. Hollybourne might be politely declined, and though she evaded giving her reasons for it, Somerive thought he saw them unequivocally and that, though she studiously avoided declaring it, she had determined to put Orlando into a situation in which it would be not at all necessary that he should marry, for money, a woman to whom he was indifferent. Mrs. Rayland had very little art, yet she fancied herself a profound politician, and never considered that, while she forbore positively or even remotely to give Orlando assurances of possessing her estate, 
her insisting upon the propriety of his marrying, whenever he did marry, a woman of family, was in effect declaring that she meant she should be the person who was to be perpetrated hers, on which she put so high a value, and thus to efface in the illusion of blood of his posterity that alloy with the inferiority of the Somerives had mingled with that of the Raylands. Somerive, convinced of this even from the pains she took to conceal it, yielded at once to her wishes, and assured her he would permit Orlando, with great politeness, to decline Dr. Hollybourne's proposal. Yet, as he continued to listen to a herringues upon family, he could not help looking sufficiently at Orlando, looks which his son perfectly understood to say, how will this accord with your attachment to the young person who was this moment dismissed by Mrs. Rayland as one of her people? The old lady, however, was hardly ever in so good a humour with her relations as she became after this affair was discussed, and Mr. Somerive never left the house so full of hopes that his family would be its possessors as he did after this interview when he returned home in good spirits though entirely relinquishing the idea of orlando's becoming the nephew of a bishop orlando himself though impatient to write and dispatch the letter to dr hollybourne yet stayed at the hall to drink tea by the desire of mrs rayland who gently chid him for deserting her at dinner it was with more pain than pleasure that he heard monimia sent for to make the tea which had hardly happened twice within the last three years when he was in the house. Mrs. Leonard cast a look at him when her lady ordered her niece to be called, but she could make no objection without raising those suspicions which she ever appeared so solicitous to prevent. Monimia then attended. Orlando treated her as a stranger whom he was slightly acquainted with, and Mrs. Rayland did not appear to have the remotest suspicion that he had any particular regard for her, so friendly to him, as it happened, had been the mistakes and interpretations which the jealousy of Pattinson had put upon those circumstances that had so frequently threatened to betray him. He had settled with Monimia the preceding night to stay supper with his father and return to the usual rendezvous and the stolen glances during the half-hour that they were together in the presence of the two old ladies, confirmed this appointment. Early in the evening, then, Orlando took leave of Mrs. Rayland, and went back to the house of his father, whose uncommon good spirits had diffused more than usual gaiety among his family. Mrs. Somerive and Selina were particularly cheerful, the mother because she saw her husband for a moment happy, and forgetting the concern he continually felt about Philip, in looking forward to the prosperity of his brother, while Selina, who had trembled for the teasing persecution she apprehended for Orlando, was delighted to find that her father would forbear to urge him on such a subject, and had acquired new confidence in the future intentions of Mrs. Rayland. Isabella, whose marriage was now within a week to take place, and who had just received from London some of those elegant clothes which her father had ordered for her, as well as some magnificent presents from the general, was the least gay of the party, 
amidst all her endeavours to persuade herself that she was happy, she had of late, had particularly since she had possessed these fineries, often inquired of herself whether they had really any power to bestow happiness. She had tried on her diamond earrings and a valuable pearl necklace, but she could not discover that she looked at all handsome in them than when she wore nothing but a simple ribband. The general's valet de chambre had dressed her hair, but she thought the mode unbecoming to her face, and the beautiful dark auburn hue, which had been so much admired, was no longer distinguishable. As for her intended husband, he was so far from having made any progress in her affections since he had been received as such, that her contempt was converted into disgust. His servants had been talking among those of Summerive of his gallantries, and, above all, the sudden desertion of the lady who lived with him, all of which Isabella had heard from her maid, and the longer she listened to, or thought of the antidotes thus collected, the greater became her repugnance, and yet she knew not how to retract, and was not always sure that she wished it. Her gravity was easily accounted for, as the day approached that was to divide her from her family, and she was suffered, after some gentle raillery, to be silent and pensive amidst the cheerful conservation of the rest. It was a lovely evening in early May. Orlando, having dispatched his letter, dismissed Dr. Hollybourne and the disagreeable heiress from his mind, and gave it up only to pleasurable impressions and flattering hopes. In a happier frame of mind than he almost ever was in before, he joined his family in their evening walk. When they reached the house, they stopped in the court before it, to admire the beauty of the moon, and to listen to the nightingale, who seemed to be addressing to that beautiful planet her planetive horizons. Orlando wished himself with Monomia, and thought with delight that within two hours he should be so, and should relate the unpleasant alarm of the day, only to tell her it was over, and had eventually been fortunate in drawing from Mrs. Rayland declarations more than ever favourable to his future hopes. The whole party sat down to supper in this cheerful disposition. The general, like a happy lover, was particularly animated, and the younger girls were much amused by some antidotes he was relating, when a servant entered hastily, and said that a gentleman who was just come post from London desired to speak to General Tracy. "'To me?' cried the general, changing countenance. "'Impossible!' I know no business any one can have with me, and that should give him that trouble. Pray, inquire his name, or send my servant to inquire. I will go myself, General, said Orlando. I thank you, said Tracy, affecting great unconcern. But I dare say it is nothing worth your troubling yourself to go out for. Orlando, however, went out and instantly returned bringing with him captain warwick surprise was visible on the faces of all the party but that of general tracy expressed consternation why warwick came he could not conjecture but he felt it to be extremely disagreeable to him that he came at all warwick was covered with dust and had that wild and fatigued look that announces tumult 
of spirit from a hot and rapid journey the person however that nature had given him was such as no disadvantageous circumstance could occur he looked like a young hero just returned unhurt from the field to recount its triumphs after addressing his uncle and being introduced to mr and mrs somerive he turned gaily to orlando and shaking him by the hand said i don't know my friend how you can ever forgive the man whose fortune it is to announce to you that you must quit immediately such a circle of friends as i now find you in quit them explained mrs somerive quit us leave us cried her husband yes indeed answered warwick with less vivacity that part of our regiment which is in england consisting of two companies is ordered to join the troops that are going thither and are to sail from portsmouth next week the moment i was sure of this which was not till late last night i thought it best to come down myself because the time is so short that my friend here the young ancient footnote three ensign end of footnote three had better proceed immediately from hence to portsmouth never was a greater a more sudden change than these few words made in the disposition of all present except tracy whose only distress was the appearance of warwick where he so little wished to see him mrs somerive struck to the heart by the cruel idea of losing orlando retired in silent tears and her daughters little less affected followed her somerive bore this painful intelligence with more apparent fortitude but he felt it with even greater severity and with something like a prepossession that he should never see orlando again if he left england he stifled however his emotions and endeavoured to do the honours of his house to his unexpected visitor but the effort was too painful to be long supported and in a few moments he left the room saying to orlando that as the general and captain warwick might perhaps have some business they would leave them together End of Volume 3, Chapter 8 Recording by Elaine Webb, Bristol, England